Amen. Hey, good morning and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There you go. Uh, it is good to be with you all this morning. My name is Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. It's good to be with you all. It's good to have the children in the service with us. I know it's going to be a little chaotic, but that's okay. It's a helpful reminder to us of just how important uh, we are. We are called to steward the children that the Lord has entrusted to us. And so a little bit of chaos is probably not bad for us every now and again uh, to help just remind us of, of what a joy it is to be so blessed as the Lord has blessed so many in our church uh, with children. So uh, I want to welcome you. If you would turning your Bibles. We're at Journey's End for the book of Ruth. So we'll be in Ruth chapter 4, 13 through 22 this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I would love for us to walk away with. It's that God fulfills his redemptive promises through ordinary circumstances for his glory, our present joy, and the eternal lives of future generations. Let me say that again. God fulfills his redemptive promises through ordinary circumstances for his glory, our present joy, and the eternal lives of future generations. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Ruth chapter 4, 13 through 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we are stepping into this, it's important for us to remember some of from whence we've came. Most of what we've seen in the book of Ruth has been uh, not miraculous at all. It's just been the ordinary means of grace being worked out in the ordinary lives and circumstances, even suffering of normal everyday people. And so I think that's important for us to remember because who are we? We're normal everyday people, and it's important for us to be able to cultivate the ability to see not only that which is miraculous, which is, that's fairly easy to, to, to notice when something really miraculous happens, but better to see the ongoing faithfulness of God worked out in the minutes and hours of our everyday lives, and to be able to participate in the thing that he's invited us into, right? He is not interested in completing the redemptive story apart from us. He wants us to taste and see that he is good, that his promises are good, and that as he works in the lives of those in our spheres of influence, it is for our joy, right? Too often we, we take way too stoic an approach to life, meaning we're just trying to get through. Whereas he actually wants us to see that in each and every day, though this is a fallen world, the light still is breaking through. Dawn is still coming. And so uh, it's important for us to cultivate that and think that through. So first question I have for us is that how has the Lord helped you go from being an outsider to being a welcome member of his family? This is an important question for us. Now, some of us, 
were far more outsiders than others of us, right? We were more clearly at the margins of the people of God or the kingdom of God, even antagonistic and hostile to it. And then others of you have, have known Jesus most all of your life. Either way, without Christ, you were an outsider regardless of how far or near you were to the people in the kingdom of God. This is important for us to remember that there was a process by which God has brought us into the family. It is good for us to reflect on that process. It is good for us to reflect on it in such a way that allows us to see all the ordinary normal means. The Lord was very gracious to me uh, as days up until my early 20s, mid-20s. And he had, and he had, had redeemed me in, in, a, in, a, in a way that was beautiful f- for me and was wonderful, but I didn't yet appreciate how much, how long he'd been pursuing me. So I had the opportunity to go back to work. Uh, I think it was uh, a New Year's Eve. Uh, a guy I'd worked for named John King who was paralyzed from the neck down. Now, I don't think that God for one second paralyzed John so he could save me. But these kind of things happen in a fallen world, don't they? And the Lord uses it all. And so, as I was working for John, now a believer. The whole time I'd worked for John, I'd not been a believer. And John was a believer, and his family was very gracious to me. As I was sitting in the chair, and it was, I think, around about 3 in the morning, because I worked overnight shift for him. Uh, (laughs) Think about me as your nurse overnight. Yeah, that's as awesome as you think it is. Uh, and, so, and so as I was sitting there, I, I had this moment where the Lord, do with this what you will, reform people. He does speak. Uh, I didn't hear an audible voice, but he said, all those years that you were sitting in this chair watching Golden Girls and uh, in the heat of the night and all these horrible TV shows and serving John King, I was preserving you. And, and I was protecting you from what you were trying to become. And it Man, it really affected me because I I began to then look in other places and see all the different ways. And I don't know all of them. I'm not able to and probably won't until the new heavens, new earth. But to be able to see all the ordinary uh, ways in which the Lord had non-miraculously showed me that he loved me and called me into his family and welcomed me in. And it was a great joy for John to be able to see me as a believer because that was part of the fruit of Now think about this. He's paralyzed from the neck down. He has eternal fruit in the midst of that. Uh, And he was able to see that before he passed, uh, which was not more than a couple of years later. And so you all, I'm sure, have stories that are similar where the Lord was just at work drawing you to himself through ordinary means. That's what we've seen in the book of Ruth throughout, right? So the whole story begins with a mistake that Elimelech, who is supposed to see God as king, leaves the house of bread to go into a foreign land where there's the worshiping of foreign gods. The, God's promises still are true and hold, and yet we have evidence that maybe he wasn't uh, as interested in worshiping Yahweh as it seems because he had named his kids Canaanite names. <laughs> if you remember, those names were like sickly and pining and nothing's ever going to change. And so uh, he dies, and that puts his family at hazard. And so his, his, his boys marry Moabite women, which is an interesting thing to do, uh, given, given the fact that the Moabites were not to be allowed into up to the 10th generation. Uh, they're not to be allowed in the temple. Well, there's been some work done that is, is suggestive that David's the 10th generation. 
which God is at work always, and he's undoing the curses that have been unleashed. Remember, part of the issue for the Moabites was that Lot, his daughters, got him drunk, and they got pregnant and created the Moabites and the Ammonites, who were cursed. And so here we have Ruth, who comes along, a foreigner, a Moabite. That's how she's been identified over and over and over again. If you notice, when it says that Boaz marries her, she's not a Moabite. She's not a foreigner. She's just Ruth, the mother of Obed. Uh, and so what a great gift it is that we see that even the mistakes that we make, the Lord can, can gather those up and make use of them for his redemptive purposes. That even when we find ourselves trying to run from him, he still pursues us and calls us back to himself. Remember, as Naomi came back, she did not want to be known as pleasant. She wanted to be known as Mara, bitter. And those same women that, that she interacts with in that case get the opportunity to bear witness to what the Lord is doing and bringing about redemption through her. And if you remember, Naomi didn't do a whole lot. The only thing she really did was encourage Ruth to figure out how to marry Boaz, which was smart, uh, but maybe the way she went about it was maybe not the best. But she doesn't do a whole lot in the story. And Ruth uh, is just trying to survive. You remember, they were more than likely under house because they didn't have their land anymore. They didn't have a home. And consider, this is the time of judges. And so everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, except for Boaz and Ruth. They were exemplars of what, what ought we do in, in, in our period of waiting for what the Lord has for us. Well, Live righteously, live out his character, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, bear the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things to do when waiting. And they give us this beautiful example. In fact, we don't know how long Boaz had been waiting. He was an older man, probably in his uh, early to mid-40s, not married, didn't have family. And again, probably because he was a half-breed, right? Salmon, who's his father, was only part Jewish, Rahab, who's a prostitute, was Gentile. And so more than likely, he was considered damaged goods, even though his reputation was, was wonderful. He was known as worthy in this place, in Bethlehem. And so we see these just ordinary things unfolding as it goes along, and people just patiently living out the beauty and truth of who they are as God's people. And so we find ourselves at the culmination. And Boaz... He marries Ruth, and the Lord blesses their, their marital union pretty quickly. And, and notice, it is the Lord who gives them a child. Because remember, she, Ruth, had been barren for 10 years. And so it's no, it was no guarantee that by her, what her body could do, that anything was going to happen if the Lord did not grant it. And so he does. He grants a child. And then notice the, the women who had engaged with Naomi have the opportunity to bear witness to this. And notice what they say. They recognize the promises of God are coming true. And they say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Now, that's operating at multiple levels. You need to understand if somebody doesn't redeem Naomi's land and make sure that she's fed into her later years, she could very well starve to death or fall prey to the folks who were doing whatever they wanted in the time of judges. So there's a sense in which God cares about your everyday existence, right? He cares about you being taken care of in the moment, but he also cares about your eternity. And we see that both and here. Because they go on to say, And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. And notice why it is they can say this. For your daughter-in-law loves you. 
because of Ruth's willingness to serve Naomi, we see the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, right? Those who bless you, I will bless. And Ruth blessed her mother-in-law, continued to help provide for her. Remember, she could carry up to 70, 80 pounds of grain at a time. She worked very hard to try to make sure that Naomi was taken care of. And so they recognized that this, through this ordinary circumstance, through this ordinary person living a worthy life, through Ruth who fulfills what, what it looks like to be a Proverbs 31 woman, that that is the means by which the Lord chooses to bring redemption into the world. And notice how they, they exalt her. They say that Ruth is better for you than seven sons. What a robust theology and care for our co-heirs, right? This notion that there is contribution that is more than just having a child. It is also being able to participate in the work of the kingdom. And so Ruth is an exemplar in this regard, and they recognize that. And then Naomi is able to take the child, and look at the great gift it is for those of you who are grandparents. What a gift it is to be able to participate in the lives of your grandchildren. Um, We have two granddaughters, and and Susan's chomping at the bit to see them this afternoon. She's hoping I'll I'll preach faster than normal, as are many of you. Uh, (laughs) uh, But but we we look forward to being able to participate in their lives. And what a gift Naomi gets to have that child laid on her lap. She gets to serve as his nurse and participate uh, in, in the unfolding story of redemption. And what a gift it is that she's invited into that, and the community is witness to that. And notice who names him. The women in the community. They participate in this as well, and they name him Obed, which, by the way, means servant. Isn't that a fitting name for Obed, who we don't know much about other than he gives, he's Jesse and then... And then David, his story is not known to us, but it is known to God. And he lives up to his name, uh, as we can see from the lineage as it goes on. And so Ruth ends with a genealogy. It's the only book in the Bible that ends with a genealogy. Now, one of the reasons for that, most likely, is that it was really serving as an introduction to the book of 1 Samuel. And it was helping to show that David actually could be the king in the temple, even though he's got Moabite blood. And it's also an interesting hermeneutic for us to understand why they put this genealogy here. It is not an exact genealogy. That is a, that's a totally Western thing for us to take something and go, ah, there's some stuff missing, I can't trust this. No, the, the point, they, there's a different point for why this genealogy is the way it is. In fact, there are five generations mentioned prior to the Passover and five following. What does that tell you? The point of the genealogy is redemption. The promises of God are coming true. The names that are listed in there, listed they're, they're truly in the genealogy, but they're there for a purpose. The product of, of Tamar and Judah's circumstance, if you remember, was pretty complex. That's where we get Perez from. And there's other names here that, that are complex in, in a variety of ways. But the most important part is not the names that are there or are absent, but what's in the middle, which is the Passover, which is that God delivers his people through a leader, through a king. Remember, he delivered them through Moses and Aaron's acts, uh, but, but most importantly, he was the deliverer. God was, but he used human ordinary circumstances to bring it about. So this is a, a comment toward... This is what the point of the book, the story of Ruth is, is that God is saying, I love you. 
and I'm going to redeem you. And I have called you by name, and I know your individual circumstances, and I know your struggles, and I will take all of it and use it for my glory, your joy, and for the life of the world. And we see that over and over and over again. And so how can we apply this? Well, uh, for those of you who, who are, have made mistakes, you've gone from the house of bread uh, to, a, to a foreign circumstance, and you, you've had to suffer the consequences for it. Well, here's the good news. That is not the end of the story. Elimelech's sin did not, and Naomi's as well, did not decide the outcome of the story. There were consequences, yes. But the Lord used that circumstance to bring about redemption. So that's important for you. If you right now, as you sit here today, have made some real mistakes that you're wondering, how in the world is this ever going to to make a difference? How in the world am I ever going to move past this, beyond this? Well, do what these folks did, which is turn to the Lord in, in, in hope and, and desire and recognize that how you live matters, right? In that, in that meantime, if you are single, either widowed, uh, both were widowed in this case, what do you do in your time of waiting? As you long for the Lord to bring you someone or you long for opportunity to serve in some way, uh, the, the thing to do is... Uh, Live in righteousness, show the fruit of the Spirit, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, serve the kingdom, serve the people around you as you wait. How long? I don't know, until he answers what you are praying for. Um, If you are someone who is newly married, longing to have a child, longing for uh, the the opportunity to, to, to be part of the future generations of the kingdom of God, how do you wait? You wait in the very same way. As you have opportunity, bear witness to where the Lord is at work in the lives of other people. Notice that these women have the the great joy of being able to witness what God is doing in Naomi's life. We don't know any one of their names. But yet, they took great joy in being able to see what God was doing in the lives of others. So this is what we are called to, to serve one another in everyday, ordinary circumstances, pointing past ourselves to the God who loves us, pointing past ourselves to the King who reigns, to Christ who reigns. This is a great gift to us, and it'll be a gift to each other. We're not just about ourselves or even our own nuclear families. Notice these women aren't kin to Naomi, but they take great joy in seeing what the Lord is doing in this present circumstance. They are able to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. This is a skill that we need to cultivate. To grow, of all people, who ought be the most festive in all of the world? The redeemed of God, right? And one of, the, one of the biggest struggles we have here, and we do it every week, and I don't know what the fear is, but after the assurance of pardon, right? Every week, this is, we've not, we hadn't changed it, we don't move it around. We say, and all of God's people can't help but say, and we get, <clears throat> amen. Right? What are we afraid of? What is it that we, we fear about celebrating the Lord our God? I was watching the Jaguars. What was it, the game? It was like Jaguars got beat by somebody. I don't care about either one of those teams. But it made me just angry to see how Trevor Lawrence was playing. Uh, and it made me angry at some of the coaching decisions, and I vocalized that anger to no one in the universe except my living room. Why? 
what do I care? And yet, I'm, listen, I am numbered among you. I'm not just saying something to you about lacking festivity or the ability to say amen. I also feel very strange vocalizing about the things of God. I, it, it's just, I don't know where it comes from. I just do. But I don't have any compunction watching some meaningless NFL game or basketball. God forbid you watch the Hawks these days. Uh, and so, and so, it is very important that we recognize this is something that doesn't come natural to us. We've got to cultivate it. And what does the world see as they look on us? What is our redemption? How, how is that being lived out for the world to see? We ought to be a more festive people because God's been loving us for so long and in so many ways. Now, I get it. Uh, introvert, extrovert, and all that kind of fun stuff. But festivity is something that both introverts and extroverts do and can do. And it's a way for us, we ought to throw the best parties, have the best meals, make the best drinks, uh, provide the best of whatever for whatever we're doing in terms of celebrating life and the goodness of God. And so this is something we would love to grow in over the next year, right? Usually we have kind of a focus for the ministry year. Well, festivity in some form or fashion. You may be saying, well, Cameron, uh, could we not have had some Advent candles? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And I might, I might change. Come, now, if y'all grow in festivity, I might change. I don't know. I can't, can't promise you nothing. So you're right. I mean, there are ways in which we, we want to be able to mark things in a better fashion uh, and, and to celebrate those things, right? Um, and so we, we have such a good God who has been at work for so long to bring us to himself. Uh, we, we should be the most hopeful and festive and celebratory people in all the kingdom. Listen to what Barry G. Webb says about this passage. He says, Judges ended with the muted hope of a king. Ruth ends with King David. Who can help but to see here the work of a sovereign God who never gives up on his people in spite of their sin? And who cannot see here the great reassuring shining truth that chaos is not all-powerful, but God is. Thank you, Gretchen. She, and she was even late. She, she's right on time there. Right on time. Right on time. So what are some ways in which Jesus has restored your life and continues to faithfully nourish you? Right? Too, too often I think we move on from our story. We move on from recognizing all the ways in which God has been good to us. This is something we need to continue to cultivate and remember your story. Think about the various people that he's brought into your life who've, who maybe spoke a word, uh, a fit word in due season. They didn't play a major role in your life, but they were there for a moment in the Lord's providence and gone. Um, there are so many ways that we could recognize his hand at work. And then what helps you to hope that he will do the same for future generations in your family? What a, what a glorious gift it is that we get to witness two baptisms today. One that is a... Did I... Somebody whoop? Yeah, go ahead. Somebody. That's lame. Come on, y'all. There it is. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Uh, so, uh, so one is uh, a product of our youth ministry, children's and youth for that matter, and then the other uh, children's ministry. What a gift it is that we get to celebrate that reality on this day from what we've heard. 
What a gift it is that this is a visual picture of God's love for us, of washing us clean, of taking us from death to life, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. We are filled with the Spirit. That is the single greatest gift anyone could give you. There's no greater longing than to be in the Spirit and to be in union with Christ. Should be. And so what a great gift it is that we get to celebrate those things today and that as we conclude Ruth, there's a visual picture of the generations being redeemed. So Ruth 4, 13 through 21 teaches us that God fulfills his redemptive promises through ordinary circumstances for his glory, our present joy, and the eternal lives of future generations. May we be able to grow as a festive people. So you're going to get to practice here in just a minute. When you see these folks baptized, and by the way, they're being baptized by profession of faith. That means that they've accepted Christ as their Savior. What's heaven going to do? It's going to break out in a party. I know, don't get it, don't, don't, don't worry. We won't get that loose. But we ought to celebrate the fact that these folks want to join the family of God and participate in things with us and see what we see and help us along the way, right? So before we get to the baptisms, let me pray. Uh, Matt, if you would, go ahead and come forward. Uh, and then Matt's going to handle that, which is also, look, Matt doing the baptisms, you may think, is Cameron just, has he gotten lazy? No, these, this is the fruit of, of youth and children's ministry. It's a great gift for Matt to be the one to, to, to get to baptism. And for you all as a church to see that there's more than just me involved in these things. There's more than just what I can accomplish, which is actually very limited as it turns out. And so uh, I want to pray uh, and give thanks, and then Matt will come forward. Father, thank you so much for the book of Ruth. Thank you for the ways in which you have expressed your love for us in and through uh, it's, it's truth, it's beauty, the, the structure of the story itself. God, I, I hope that this would help us actually read Scripture better with eyes more wide open, looking more for where you are declaring your love for us. So God, thank you for the time that we've had in this book. I thank you for the result that, that King David, the line of David, continues from the line of Eve. God, thank you that it it resulted in Christ who has come and is coming again. Lord, would you cultivate in us through the power of your Holy Spirit a greater hope for that, a greater hope in what we have already received, a greater celebration of what we've already received, and a greater hope and celebration of what we have coming. Thank you that you've entrusted one more advent to us and that we get to bear witness to the fruit of the labor of many over the years in the lives of the two students who will be baptized, and in the lives of each of us. Thank you, Father, that you are so gracious and you are so good. In Christ's name, amen.